0: Let's pray one more time and then we'll go straight into God's word. God, thank you, Lord, for for choosing us to be here this morning. Lord, this message is from you. And I pray, Lord, that just as those just as the words are yours, Lord, that the power to put them into our lives can also come from you. It's not good enough to Lord just to listen to your words, Lord, but. Just as Revelation says, Lord, we have to eat your words and let those words become a part of us. Be with us now, Lord, as we open up our Bibles, as we go through your word. Help us to understand and help it to to truly change who we are so that we can leave this place better people. We pray this, God, in your holy name. Amen. I wanted to read the scripture verse again. If you could turn there uh, back to Psalms chapter 46. Psalms chapter 46, we're just reading the last, uh, the very few verses there. Verses 9, let's read 9 first. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. God has the power to stop wars. And when you read a verse like this, it's easy to imagine that he's talking about countries and, and armies. Um, but whenever God speaks, it's, it's always in layers. And just as he is talking about countries and armies, at the same time, he's talking about every individual life. Each one of us who go through our own wars, who go through our own battles and struggles... And God here is saying that those things that you're fighting with at home, at work, with your family, with your kids, with your spouse, those wars, I have the power to bring peace. I have the power to stop it, to break the weapons, to break the words that are causing hate. But you might read this verse, and you might think about your own life. You might say, but God, I'm going through so much, and I pray to you. I pray to you, and yet I'm still at war. I'm still struggling. I'm still fighting. How can I apply this verse in my life? How can I live this verse here? Uh, And the answer is verse 10. It's the great mistake that most, if not all of us make. For verse 9 to come true, we need verse 10, where God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be the exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God seems strange to us. Uh, Jesus, when you look at his ministry, is strange to us because he breaks all our rules. How do you win a war? You win it by st- stop fighting, right? Which seems ludicrous. You're going to be trampled, you're going to be destroyed. Be still and know that I am God. Why? Because at the end of the day, at the end of that war, God has to make sure that he's the one that's exalted and not you. Because the problem is if you win that war, you become the hero. You become the center of the universe. And that little battle that you thought was so big you'll soon realize that the next battle will be much worse. It'll be a battle with yourself. Be still, slow down. Two days ago, I got a ticket from the police. Um, I I didn't do a complete stop. I slowed down, I just didn't do a complete stop. Um, and, And just as I pushed the accelerator, I saw the police just in the corner of my eye, and I was like, ah. Um, and you go straight into that prayer that says, God, please fix this. <laughs> fix this. Find a way. Uh, I pulled over, the lights went on. She came around. She told me what I did wrong. Uh, I gave my information, and she walks back as they always do. And I sat there in that car and for the first time in months, I actually stopped. By the time the police officer came back, I was actually thanking God for that ticket. For the last few months, for the last three, four months, I've been working on a a couples retreat, which we actually did just a few weeks ago, Uh, and it was intensive. A lot of, lot of work every day working on that program, Uh, and even after the program was done, it's as if that, that I got stuck on that gear in my head, and I just kept racing through life, um, only, only when I sat there in that car waiting for the police officer to come back, did I actually start thinking about what I was doing. You know, And I thought about driving since I was in the car, and I was like, you know, a few months back I would drive, you know, on the highway between 100 and 120. Um, and I realized that for the last few months, I was going 130, 140. Um, all of it because of that, that nonstop rush, that work. Um, I had nothing to do. I wasn't going anywhere. Important. right? I wasn't going to be late. I wasn't, um, I wasn't needed at a specific time. But just that, that pace that I was in in life, everything else became connected to that until I got that ticket, until God basically stopped me and said, listen, if I don't stop you here, you're going to stop a different way. And so I sat there thanking God for a parking ticket, for a stop sign ticket, I guess is what it is. Most of us overwork. I'd probably say all of us overwork. And, I'm, I, I, and you might sit here and be, say, well, no, I'm retired. I don't work anymore, or, no, nah, no, nah, my, you know, I, I stay at home. I'm not talking about your job, though. Everybody in this room is busy, yes or no? Yeah. Everybody here is busy. You could be retired. Somehow you're busy. Uh, my dad just retired a few months back. Uh, I talked to him, and he's busier now than when he was working. He's more tired now than when he was working. We're busy because it's not just work anymore. Uh, the world is designed to keep you busy. Anyone here have a smartphone, iPhone, or Samsung? Um, they have teams of scientists whose only job is to make sure that every two seconds you're going back to your phone. That is their job. They're doing every sort of study, every psychological study they can to figure out what's the best pinging sound. Have you ever noticed that you hear that ping and you kind of, you get nervous? Whoa. Uh, I'm the type of person that if I turn on my phone to the main screen and if there's, if there's a number anywhere on any of my apps, I have to get rid of it. Um, I have a pastor friend who I, I just leaned over one day to look at his phone. His inbox, his, his uh, emails, has over 10,000 messages. I wouldn't be able to sleep. I would have to just erase every single one until I got it. The phones are designed to keep you busy. Television, computer, music, everything is designed to keep you busy. You can't drive more than five minutes without seeing a billboard, without seeing a sign, without seeing advertisement. We live in a world that is overworking us. Every study you look at in terms of suicide is all related to stress, all related to overwork. That's why college students have one of the highest suicide rates in the world. Everyone you ask, they're stressed, they're working, they're overworked, they can't deal with their job and their school and their home and girlfriend and everything else they go through. We're overworked. At the beginning of the sermon, I said that God doesn't make mistakes. Everything God does has a purpose. But there's also another truth. Everything the devil does is also not a mistake. And there's no accidents with the devil either. The way we live today is because of him. He's designed this world. He's designed how we wake up in the morning, how we eat our food, how we go to work, and how we come home. This overworking that we have is his plan. And his plan has a purpose. What's the danger of overwork? Let's... Let's go to Ecclesiastes. It's my favorite book in the Bible. If you have a Bible, turn there quickly. This is the wisdom the wisdom of, of Solomon. Solomon's an interesting person in the Bible because he's one of the few kind of title characters. One of those, I don't, know, I don't want to call him a hero in the Bible, but he's one of those main characters um, that we actually don't know if he's going to go to heaven. If you read through the The book of heroes in in Corinthians where it mentions all the heroes of the Old Testament. Solomon's name is not by accident left out. And yet the Bible says that he was the wisest man in the world. And when you read his writings, you realize that that's true. But there's a very big difference between knowing what's right and doing what's right. As you read through Ecclesiastes, you realize that Solomon knew what was right. But when you look through his story and see what he did, you'd realize that just because he knew it doesn't mean he followed his own advice. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 16, and then we'll read 17. 17. Here, Solomon is listing off some of the evils of the world, some of the things that just aren't fair about this world. This is one of his main ones. Verse 16, chapter 5 says, And this also is a severe evil. It's not just evil, it's a severe evil. That just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored For the wind. Solomon looks at this world, he looks at human beings and he says, when you're born, you're born with nothing. You're born without a mind, you're born without knowledge. And then he looks at the aged people, he looks at those who are dying of old age, he analyzes them, And he thinks to himself, these people lived for 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years. And they're not better off. They're just dumb little babies that still don't know how to live in the world, that still haven't gained anything. And then he says, verse 17 here. All his days he also eats in darkness. And he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. I want you to look at your life. And I, I know we talk about this as Christians at Adventist, Um Who here thinks their life has gotten better since they've accepted Christ? Do you want to show me? Yeah. All of us, we know that, right? We We claim that and we show that. But if we're like Solomon, and we take a second and we stop and we look at our our lives, we realize that when we say that, we're looking at the grand picture of it. Yeah, my life in general is better. Right? Right? I'm happier now that I'm with Jesus than before. But when you stop and you just look at your day, from waking up in the morning until you go to sleep at night, and I'm talking about an average day. When we actually stop and we look at our lives, and we look at that day just by itself, And we think about how much of that day we're just kind of sad. How much of that day we get angry. How much of that day we're annoyed. And that's what Solomon is talking about here. He's saying, we we claim our lives are better, but when we actually look at the day-to-day, we're still these miserable people. How many people here like how many people here like to complain? Do you like doing that? I don't know if it's a Canadian thing. We love it, right? When the weather gets bad, oh man. I can complain about the weather, right? Think about that for a second. We we enjoy complaining. We enjoy being negative. That's what Solomon is talking about here. You know, when, we, when, when our life comes to an end and you look at it, not in the great scheme of things, but when you look at it just the day after day after day after day, he looks at humanity and he says, we're not any better. We haven't evolved. You, you know, when you're, when you're a little kid, you know, when you look at adults, you know, all these kids, oh, I wish I was an adult. I want to grow up. I want to have a job and have a house and get married and you know, when you're a kid and you imagine that future the whole day is fun, isn't it? Oh man, we're going to have a house. You know, and we'll make, even making food is fun, even cleaning the house is fun. Everything seems fun when you're a kid, right? I'm going to grow up and it's going to be this beautiful life. But when you're an adult, what do you say? Man, I wish I was a kid again. That's what Solomon is talking about here. The actual day-to-day, we we waste so much of it. We waste so much of our day being upset and being annoyed and just being sad. Because Solomon... He was rich. Because of his position and because David had fought all his wars for him already, Solomon relatively was able to live this life of just exploration, right? He was given the ability to just look in the world. And he looks at people and he sees miserable people who wake up in the morning and are like, "Ah, I don't want to get out of bed. Think about that for a second. You just woke up. Your consciousness just lit up, right? Should be the greatest miracle in the world. You woke up in the morning. You realize you're alive. You have a whole day of possibilities. And the only thing you can think of is, I want to go back to bed. I want to turn off again. Solomon looks at that, and, and again, Solomon has traveled the world, right? He's seen some amazing things. He's seen what's available in the world. And he looks at these miserable people. And he looks at this marvelous planet with all its possibilities. And He looks at people and he says, what's the matter with you? God has given you a day, and you're going to waste it by being upset and annoyed and down and sad. What's the matter with people? And the worst part is, and this is really what gets Solomon down, he looks at all those other people and then he looks in the mirror. And he realizes he's no better. He's just as miserable, just as sad as everyone else. We're given so many years, 80 plus years to live. Ask yourself this question now have I really taken advantage of those years? What could I have done with the years that God has given me? With the days that God has given me? Sometimes I'll watch a soccer game or something and turn on the TV and use some superstar or soccer player and then you realize that he's younger than you are. And you realize, whoa. If I had dedicated my life into something, maybe I could have been as good as something as he is, but I have wasted it, you know? You waste your life. And the worst part is we, we waste our life by being busy. Busy. And we decided that. We decided to fill up our day. And by filling up our day, we end up with an empty day. Let's turn to another chapter in Ecclesiastes here. A positive side. This is Solomon's great advice here. I'm sure you know the verses. Ecclesiastes chapter, thir- uh, chapter 3, verses 13, 12 and 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 12 it says, I know that there is nothing better. Again, Solomon, smartest man in the world, has searched the world, has, has, has been with God, has been out of God, has been in the world, out of the world. He's tried everything. Ecclesiastes is his, his book his wrap-up of his life, everything that he's learned. So when he says that there is nothing better, he means it. I've tried it all. This is the best thing you can do in this world. I know that there is nothing better than for them, for people, than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. And this is what Solomon learned. It is a gift of God. It's easy to read that quickly and simply think of, okay, then God just wants me to eat and drink. So let me just go eat and drink every day. I'll be happy. That's not what he's saying here. Read it slowly. Verses 12. I know that there is nothing better than to what? Rejoice. What does that mean? What is rejoice? Praising God. Being happy. Alright? Every day you have a choice. Am I going to be miserable today or am I going to be happy today? Alright? It's not like a hand. uh, Sadness isn't a hand that you're stuck with. You can't just take it off and replace it. It's an emotion. You choose your emotions. You choose how you're going to see the day. And Solomon is saying, when you wake up in the morning, you might be in a horrible relationship, you might be in a horrible job, you might be in a horrible home. You can still choose to rejoice. Because the fact is, the miracle happened. Your eyes opened. God has just given you a whole day to use or to throw away. So wake up, open your eyes, and choose to explore, to take advantage of that day that God has given you. Be happy, rejoice. and do good in your lives. Another choice. I used to work at Tim Hortons. I was a baker. I used to love that job, it was the easiest job in the world. Um, You're not at the front so you don't have to worry about all those caffeine addicts. You're just in the back, you make donuts, you sprinkle, it's fun, it's baking. But after a while, I would look at what I was doing, and I was putting twelve hours a day into this restaurant, and all I was giving was fat, sugar and caffeine. That was my purpose, and I realized that yes, I'm working, I'm making money, I'm doing something, but I wasn't bringing goodness I wasn't who was I helping with that? nobody I realized I had to change my life because God had given me those hours and this is what I had chosen to do but I realized that you know what I wanted to choose something different I wanted to do good I wanted to help people I wanted to be happy and I wanted to make other people happy. But that's a choice. Rejoice and do good. And then, verse 13 eat and drink and enjoy. This is all connected here. All right? These aren't separate things. Eat, drink, and enjoy what? The good of your labor. Enjoy the good of your labor. When I was early on, I was still in school to be a pastor. We did a, an evangelism series in, uh, I think it was London. London or Cambridge, I can't remember now. We stayed at the elder's house there. They were both both uh, nurses, very well off. So we stayed in their home. We stayed in their basement. Their, the basement, I think, was bigger than my house. Um, just this huge house, beautiful backyard. And we were with them for a few weeks. And around the end of that time, I finally stopped and I talked to them for a little while because I, I realized that here are these, these wealthy people with this beautiful home. And they were never there. They just worked and they worked and they worked and they worked all day. They came home. They slept. They, they barely saw the kitchen. And they would go straight to the bedroom finally Sunday comes around but because they have this large property with large lawn he spends the whole day cutting grass and I stopped and I said do you, do you like your house they're like, oh it's beautiful I'm like but do you enjoy your house do you actually get to, to enjoy it and they stopped and they said not really you gotta work But if you can't enjoy the results of that work, what's the point? Working is great, and the Bible talks about work, and it's an important thing. But if you can't enjoy the results of that work, then that labor is wrong. The work is wrong. There is nothing better in this life than to be happy, to do good, And to be able to enjoy the results of that good work. Eat, drink, and enjoy the work. I could talk through a lot of people in the Bible. We could look at Peter. Peter was a man who acted before he thought, right? He just loved to work. Peter was a worker. I think he was Portuguese. Uh, He loved to work. The problem is, he worked before he thought. Right? He was always the one that put a foot in his mouth, wasn't he? Always the first one at the front. No, God, I'll never betray you. You're going to be the one. You know, the, the army comes in, he's the one that pulls the sword, attacks, cuts off the man's ear, Jesus has to put it back. Right? Peter was always the one that he loved to work. The problem is, work was so ahead of him that most of the time the work became useless. We could talk about Peter, we could talk about Paul, a Paul who who worked for God so much, so hard, 24 hours a day, that he didn't even realize that he wasn't working for God anymore. He was actually working against God, but he was working. We could even talk about Jesus who take whole days healing people, barely eat. But even Jesus would have to stop and go off by himself and rest. Talk about a lot of people. I'm going to talk about David. David for me is the best example. This is where we're going to stay for the rest of the sermon. Now, If you want to turn your Bibles there. We're just going to read a small part of his life here. It's a story that everyone knows. The story of Bathsheba. 2nd Samuel chapter 11. And don't forget this is a hero of God. This is a man who the Bible itself says it's a man after God's own heart. David by this time has been king for a while. He's getting older. Verse 1, now it came to pass in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel and to destroy the people of Ammon. Bay seized Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. This is where a lot of people miss the mark. A lot of people say, oh, David, you know, he should have went to war. He stayed back. He got lazy. It's because he stayed back that he sins. It's actually the exact opposite. David was a poet, yes. He loved to write. He loved to sing. But David was a warrior. David loved to fight. Remember, he's the one that jumped in to fight Goliath. He didn't have to be persuaded. He's the one that loved to talk about his battles with bears and with lions. He's the one that just to win a woman's heart, went off and killed so many men. David loved war. He loved it because he was good at it. But he also loved it because of the praise he got. The songs that they used to sing about David. Saul kills his thousands. David 10,000. David loved war. But David was getting old. And the people wouldn't let him anymore. He was king now. He had to judge, he had to rule, he had to make decisions. He was too valuable a prize to be sent off to war. He had to stay back with the women while the heroes went off to war. That troubled David. For those of you who have maybe retired by now do you ever think about the good old days man I used to be so good at this nobody could beat me at this man they used to look up at me when I got this job done that's David now David knows he's not going to go back to war David knows that there's no more songs about his glories. David's golden years have passed. Now his days are full of court cases, of people's troubles. He's a politician now, not a warrior. And so you can imagine the stress that David is going through As king, he's working, 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 and not stopping. He's overworked. To the point that even during the middle of the night, he wakes up. You don't wake up in the night if you're peaceful. He's stressed. His body, he could feel the of wanting to be at the war, wanting to be who he used to be. But he stuck with the women back home, stuck with court cases and paperwork, desk work. Verse 2, then it happens one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing And the woman was very beautiful to behold. David was no longer a warrior. David can no longer prove his manhood on the battlefield. There's only two ways men prove their manhood. It's at work and it's in bed. He's stressed. His mind is racing. And he just needs something to get his mind off. Nothing is done by accident. Satan doesn't make our lives stressful and overworked for no reason. He does it because when we're in that state, when we're working nonstop the same way I was going on the highway and and going faster and faster, when decisions come your way, you feel like you're too busy to stop and think about the situation. The, 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 the situation comes, and what do you do? Rash decisions. Let me get this out of the way. Let me get this out of the way. And that's David. He's stressed. He's busy. He He, he, he doesn't feel like a man, and he sees a beautiful woman. And we know the rest of the story. All of it set up for David to fall. Let's look at the end of the story. Go to chapter again, verse, chapter 11. Let's read verses 27. We know what David does. He He goes from being an adulterer to being a murderer to being a liar to breaking... He basically breaks every commandment in the Bible because of this one rash decision. But there's a problem, see. He's still not fixed. He's still racing and he's still rushing and he's still overworked to the point that even after he's killed Uriah... Bathsheba's husband. Look at what David does. Verses 27. The Bible says that that Uriah's wife mourned for her husband when she learned that, that he had died on the front lines. Verses 27. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. He's still racing. He's still rushing. He still had a problem. A pregnant woman, so what do you do? You marry her. You just wait until the morning's done. You bring her into the house. Everything's fine. Let me go on with the rest of my life. I have lots of decisions to make. This is just a side thing. It's an unimportant decision that David is making here. He's racing through life. And just as I receive my ticket, David has to receive his. Chapter 12, when the Lord sent Nathan to David, he came to him and said to him, there are two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. Then a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock, uh, from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Have you ever wondered why Nathan talks like this? Why doesn't Nathan just go to David and say, you can answer David did have a thing of killing people. It's possible. But that, that Nathan could have simply have gone to David and said, listen David, I know what you did. I know you slept with Bathsheba. I know you killed the husband. I know you married her and I know that's your son. But he doesn't. Because there's another message that God is trying to point to him. What Nathan says is what David is used to hearing all day. Oh, king, there's two men that are fighting. One man stole from another one. Oh, two men are fighting. One is taken from his land. One is stealing water. One is claiming that he slept with his wife. David is full of hearing these stories, and that's his life. He's overworked by these stories. And Nathan comes in with another story. David is so overworked by these stories that he doesn't even realize who's talking to him. This isn't a peasant. It's not even a lord. This is the prophet of God. Prophets of God don't come to David talking about two two men and their sheep. If David hadn't have been overworked, David would have seen what Nathan was doing from the beginning, but he was so overworked that David was just hearing another story, another complaint and David does the exact same thing he did when he was on the rooftop with Bathsheba. He makes another rash decision. Then David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives. Everyone knows, here the, everyone knows the Ten Commandments here, right? Ten Commandments, everyone's good with those? What's the first one? Yeah, worship God. What's the second one? Hmm? anyone images yeah what's the third one don't use the Lord's name in vain what that means is never make a promise using God's name or you gotta keep it if you use my name you either keep it or I punish you because now you're making me look bad as God you're putting me on the spot. And yet what is David doing here? He's using God's name for a story that he thinks is about a rich man and a poor man. And he says, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall die. David just condemned himself. He just made a vow to God that he would kill the man who did this act. When you're overworked, when you're busy, you kill yourself. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. And thus says the Lord of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping I gave you the house of Israel and Judah and if that had been too little I also would have given you much more what's God saying there what's God saying there This goes right back to Solomon. He's like, David, you were a nobody. You were by yourself with sheep. But I gave you everything. Every time you wake up, every time you open up your eyes in the morning, you know your privilege. You know that there is nothing you can have. I've given you everything. And even if you wanted more, I would give you more. Why did you have to steal? Why did you have to do this? Why can't you wake up and rejoice and do good works and enjoy the things that I've given you? Verse 9, why have you despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. You used my enemy to kill a wife's husband. Now, therefore, the consequence, and this is important David was overworked and he was busy. And instead of stopping and thinking and organizing his life and enjoying what God has given him, David had chosen. His own way. He had chosen that he was going to be the master of his own house. Look at what God says here. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. You have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord: Behold, I will raise up an adversary against you from your own house, and you will take wi- and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of, his, of this son for you did it secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel before the sun. you chose to be busy and that's exactly what I'm going to give you you chose always to be working to always be at war well now I'm going to make sure you're always going to be at war from outside and from within How many people think that's kind of harsh? Anybody? Is it just? Is it unjust? You know, the Bible says that God doesn't change, right? The God of this day is the God that we have today. There's people here who are at war in their lives. There's people here whose lives are just nonstop, one struggle after another. And it might be for the exact same reason. We choose this life, we choose this consequence. David chose this consequence you didn't like the life that I gave you, you chose your own life, your own wife, your own way of living, then then that's what I'm going to give you. And in your own life, God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. He has a family for you, a wife for you, a job for you. And God has planned your days. But every single time we decide... That we have a better way of doing things don't be surprised when the adversaries come and it never seems to stop because we chose that we chose that life every time we reject God's way we choose the wrong way and the wrong way is never pretty Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sins. You shall not die. I asked you if this was too harsh. But remember the promise that David made. Whoever has done this thing, may he die. God isn't being harsh here. He's being generous. The fact is, David shouldn't have lived another day. By by David's own promise, David should have died that day. It's because of God's generosity that David stays alive. But there's still consequences. And God keeps his word. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. And it became very ill. This next part, usually we read separate. Usually we kind of... Take it a little bit out of context, but look at it now. Remember, David has been busy. David has been working. He's been working so hard that even when the the prophet comes, he doesn't realize that it's a prophet talking to him. So think about where he is spiritually. Think about where David's life is spiritually at this moment, that even when he's talking to a prophet, he doesn't realize he's talking to God. David therefore pleaded with God for the child and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house rose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but but he would not, nor would he eat food with them. How long was David on the ground? Seven days. Think about this for a second. David was what at this point? What was his position? He was king. Were there court cases to be filled? Was there paperwork to be signed? Was there jobs to be done? Wasn't David's life super busy before this? David was going nonstop, nonstop to the point that that he couldn't even sleep at night and now magically he can lay down on the floor for a whole week does israel crumble is israel destroyed does the kingdom fall we lie to ourselves we think we have to be busy oh if i if i'm not busy the, the whole house is going to fall apart the whole job will be destroyed it's all lies David lay down on that floor for a whole week probably for the first time in a long time doing one thing just being with God pleading with God talking with God this is why Nathan spoke the way he spoke David this isn't your life I know you're king And I know you have to go through these decisions, but that's not your life. Your purpose is greater than that. Everyone here has different jobs. Some people here are retired. It doesn't matter what you do. That's not who you are. God has a greater purpose for you. But you have to spend time with God to do it. David stayed there for a whole week. Then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was still alive, he spoke to him, and he would not heed our voices. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. This is the, this is the interesting part now. David was king. He was overworked. He was he was doing what he thought a king is supposed to do. Right? And you can think about your job. You probably, you think you're doing what you think you're supposed to do in that job. You probably think your life is invaluable, at that job in that home. You're not. God didn't create you to be that way. David was so busy. Couldn't even sleep at night. And then he takes seven days where he just pleads with God on the floor. He's not eating. He's just learned that his child has died. And look at verse 20 so David arose from the ground washed and anointed himself changed his clothes went into the house of the Lord and worshipped then he went to his own house and when he had requested they set food before him and he ate David breaks all the rules he's not at his meetings he's not being a king He just learned that his son has died. He's not mourning his son. He breaks all the rules in this one verse. He does everything backwards. And yet this is the first verse in a long time that David is actually doing what God wants him to do. Only after that seventh day does David open his eyes and rejoice and do good and enjoy what God has given him. If you keep reading, everyone becomes, you know, what are you doing? This is strange. You're not acting the way a human is supposed to act. That's a good thing. Not acting the way someone from this world acts is a good thing. We have to look at our own lives. We've got to look at our schedules. We've got to look at the decisions we make. And we have to ask ourselves, am I really the person that God wants me to be? And I'm not talking about in general. In general, it's easy because you can say, well, I'm going to go to heaven and everything Everything will be fine. Yeah, think about it. You're, you're acting like a child again, by the way, right? You Remember the little child? One day when I grow up, I'll have the house and the family, and every day we'll be happy. We're doing the exact same thing. One day I'm going to go to heaven, and everything will be happy and fun and good. The question is, well, what about today? God, God's worried about you today. He knows what heaven's going to be like. He's there. When you wake up in the morning who are you going to be? What are you going to do? What decisions are you going to make? Because you only get that day once. And God doesn't give it to you by accident. There's something amazing that God wants from you to give you Every single day, but it's our choice, and it's our consequences. Let's bow our heads and speak with God. Lord here we're we're here in your presence, Lord, every one of us, every single one of us different, different jobs, different different lives, some of us aren't even working anymore. And Lord, so many of us are just too busy. So many of us, Lord, are are following the path of the world too closely, not giving enough time for you not realizing that every single day, Lord, is a blessing from you and a miracle from you. And that every single day, Lord, we open our eyes that you have a mission for us. God, speak with our hearts. Lord, change our, our eyesight, Lord, the way we see the world, the way we see ourselves and help us to truly become the people you want us to be. I pray this, Lord, not because we're worthy, but because you're so generous to us. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.